Carpenter's Way. If you're in the room, you can stand. You can worship with us if you want. You don't have to, but you are more than welcome to stand. Uh, one thing we say every week, if you're uh, at home, if you're checking it out online, uh, don't be a spectator. Uh, join in with us this morning. In this time of desperation, All we know 
is doubt and fear There is only one foundation We believe We believe In this broken generation all is dark you help us see there is only one salvation we believe we believe we believe in god the father we believe in jesus christ we believe in the Holy Spirit and He's given us new life. We believe in the crucifixion. We believe that He conquered hell. We believe in the resurrection when He's coming back again. We
prison as cruel as a crime.
Well, if you're not standing, it's your own fault at this point. <laughs> if you would, please stand and let's, uh, if you're not already, let's read the scripture together. But as for me, I will sing about your power. Each morning, I will sing with joy about your unfailing love. For you have been my refuge, a place of safety when I am in distress. Oh, my strength, to you I sing praises. For you, oh God, are my refuge, the God who shows me unfailing love. Forgive me for the things that I do. The foolish mistakes I make. I take my eyes off of you. I don't know why you love me, but you do. I don't know why you carry. All my shame Why you would freely come Die in my place Why you would walk my path Why you would even look my way Don't know why you carry
Why you forgive me for the things that I do? Thousand beside 
Team, thank you, worshipers. It's awesome to be back this morning and to sit at the front of the room and have you singing your hearts out. Now, those who are sitting behind me are worried. I can hear them. Man, this song, the song we just sang that most of us have been singing our whole lives says, um, Great is thy faithfulness. Thank you, God, for being faithful to your promise to redeem me. And then it says, Blessings all mine with 10,000 beside. And you know, one of those blessings is, is this gathering each week to hear each other sing and encourage each other and to spur each other on, not just on Sunday morning, but in Bible studies. And just that gathering time is so cool. And uh, for those of you who are watching from home, and I know some of you are doing it for health reasons and some of you are on vacation, thank you for sticking with us on our study. But man, there's nothing like being together and looking at each other and encourage each other. And we, we invite you to come join us in person. And, but we're just at least glad you're checking us uh, out at home and grab your Bible at home or in your boat and prepare. Uh, I'm praying that the fish don't bite for the next 45 minutes. I, I, I'm kidding. I'm sorry. That was offensive to Texans, wasn't it? Yeah. But uh, man, it's so good to be home. And uh, Julie and I had a wonderful time. We went to uh, New Mexico. And it was raining there, and we had a wonderful time. Uh, someone loaned us their house up on top of the world. There are mountains in Mexico, New Mexico. I didn't know that. Uh, but it is gorgeous there. And after a few days, we decided to chase the sun. Uh, and so we got in our car, and we headed to the other side of New Mexico, uh, right on the border uh, in... where where. Gallup, yeah, I was going to say that, but then it would have been wrong. But Gallup, New Mexico, is where many uh, of the old 40s and 50s and 30s westerns were filmed, just outside of there on the border of Arizona. So we went there to a hotel we saw in the past when we were going on Route 66 that was built so that the stars and the production companies had a place to stay, El Ranchero. And so we stayed there one night, and we woke up the next day, and we were going to take my Subaru off-roading. And for those of you who don't think a Subaru can off-road, yes, it can. Um, so uh, it started raining. So we realized, you know what we want to do? We want to see the sun. So we start driving west on Route 40, which is the, the new 66. And we start driving. I went to the Painted Desert. And then we went to the uh, Petrified Forest and spent all day driving. And man, we just had a wonderful time. If you have not, I'm finding that a lot of Texans, you go to the beach, you go to Mexico, you got to spend time in the desert. It is so beautiful. It is so beautiful out there, especially from the inside of an air-conditioned car. But we had, a, we had a really nice time, and we tried to post some pictures for you all so you could see what we saw, and it is, it is gorgeous out there. But one of the cool things about this trip is we got to log in, and we got to listen to Jeff preach two weeks ago, and Adam preached last week. And I, one of the blessings of being a part of this church is, is, is that you desire to know the Word. And even if it's different than what you grew up hearing, 
And that allows us, and I mean the elders, to make sure that we have a shepherding staff that teaches the word. Starts with the gospel and goes into discipleship. And uh, we have had one of the most incredible last six weeks in ministry here that in 15 years I've ever seen a refreshing time. We have had children saved, teenagers saved, others ask questions. We've got new people watching online. We've got new people coming in that are asking questions about Jesus Christ. It is an incredible season right now of the Holy Spirit working. And uh, we're teaching on Wednesday nights. Uh, we are studying uh, Revelation and uh, it's archived if you, if you want to see it. It's a different look at it. It's just, we're going quickly through and just looking at what it says, not what, it, what we want it to say, but what it says or think it says. Um, but one of the things at the beginning the Lord says to Ephesus is, you need to, you, your doctrine's good, your passion, your, your doctrine is good, you've endured persecution, you, you pick your leaders carefully, but I have this one thing against you. You don't love me or each other like you did at first. And so here's my warning to you. If you don't turn around and get back to me, I'm going to remove your lampstand. And the whole concept is that we are the lampstand of Jesus Christ. We are not the light of the world. Jesus Christ is the light of the world. We hold him up. And the curse or the judgment of Ephesus would be if they don't turn around and repent, he's going to remove their ability. They'll still gather, but they'll be irrelevant spiritually in the world. They will not lift him up. And man, this last month I have found myself just thanking the Lord for allowing us to hold up his lampstand. If you are visiting Carpenter's Way, if you're watching from online or you attend here every week, we are not. It's a wonderful thing to have new people. It's a wonderful thing to have you here. I mean, it wouldn't be much of a church if you weren't here. But we want you to fall in love with Jesus. That's why this is on the stage. We, we want everything. We want you to look over in the middle of a message when I say something off the wall that doesn't sound right. I want you to look over and go, oh, yeah, that's just about Jesus. Mark's crazy. It's okay. We want you to fall in love with Jesus because at the end of the day, the Baptist faith and message, your worship experience at an Assemblies of God church isn't going to make a bit of difference. All that's going to matter is what you did with Jesus Christ and how well you knew him. And so our passion, our prayer is to drive you to Jesus. And that's one of the reasons why we do uh, what's called expositional study or verse by verse, taking out of the text what it says. And... Uh, Man, i got to tell you something. I have watched Alicia Bonin and Casey and their team work so hard this last month. But man, the fruit this time. We, always, we don't always see fruit, but we are right now. And for, to watch Adam and his team and Mark Dubose and, and the student ministry, God is blessing so much. Keep praying. Please keep praying. And be involved because God's at work. Um, and, and, and it is a privilege. That is not... God is always at work, but it is not always the case that we see the fruit. Please refer back to Jeremiah in the Old Testament. You don't always see the fruit, but we are right now. Keep praying. God is working. Thank you for your prayer. Thank you for your support of all that stuff. Uh, and now a personal note. I just want to say what a privilege it is to serve with three shepherds that passionately love God's Word. This last year and a half, Alicia uh, and her team have started doing the gospel project in Sunday morning. And basically the theory is that if a parent has their kid here every week, they will go through the major stories of the scripture every two years. And then they'll get into high school and we'll start teaching the practicality, the life, the wisdom living. That's what Adam's team does. Take the scriptures and talk about how it applies to your life. And that's what we do here, discipleship. But one of the things that, uh, that Adam has said, and, and I just appreciate him so much in staff meeting, but he told Jeff the, uh, a week ago just how impressed he was at student camp with the knowledge of our students' knowledge of Scripture. Um, and, um, you know, that doesn't mean that they're all walking with God, but they know the Word. 
And what you do with it is between really you and God. But you are well fed. And last two weeks, man, I thought Jeff in Acts 19, which one is one of the most difficult parts of Acts in this culture, because it's all about unique unique miracles that God allows Paul to do. And we have a whole slew of churches that want to do that thing. If they could do it, I can do it. That is not how you go to God. You don't go to God saying, if they did it, I get to do it. You go to God saying, do whatever you want. And I thought he handled it masterfully. And uh, then last week, Adam opened the word and he reminded us of who Christ really is. He's not your buddy. Uh, He kept, I think, using the phrase, Jesus in your pocket. Totally offensive, but right on. Right, I'm just kidding. Right on. I mean, we have put Jesus in our pocket. Now, many of us grew up in the church where we feared the Lord so much it wasn't intimate, and now the pendulum has swung the other way where he's our buddy in our pocket. The only time we really seriously pray is when we're diagnosed with cancer or have a problem or want our kids to succeed or want them to be the first baseman starting player on the team. Or, uh, and that is not who God is. That is not who God is. It may be who you wish he was, not, not you, but generally it may be who we, we pretend he is, But God is. There is no such thing as your truth. There's just truth. And uh, one of the conversations I've had with some people recently is that your job as adults is not to seek your truth or to make your kids happy or or to just make sure that they're protected. It is to protect them in the next life as well. It is to disciple them and teach them not convenient truth but real truth. And in today's text, and what we're going to do is we're going to go through, I'm going to take chapter 19, and Jeff took us through two-thirds, two out of three stories in this chapter, and I'm going to put them together. I want to remind you that Luke was writing this to a dude named Theophilus, we believe was a Roman leader. He may very well have been making a case in his two books, remember he wrote two books, the first volume is the book of Luke to tell us who is Jesus, and then the the book of Acts is to tell us who the church is, because it is believed by some theologians, and I I can't prove this, but it is believed by some theologians that at the time of Luke's writing, the the Roman uh, governorship was beginning to get concerned about this cult called followers of the way. You'll see that in today's text. And they they weren't called Christians yet. They were called the way. You know that when they start being called Christians, it's a mocking term. It means little Christ in Greek. What they called them in, in Aramaic and Greek was little Christ. Oh, those are those little Christ. But their official name, generally known, was the people of the way. Not, not to be confused by Andersonism or the cult people of the way, but that's what they were called. And it's such a cool name because Jesus said, I am the way. And these people taught there's only one way to have a right relationship with God, and that's through Jesus Christ. So they were, oh, those are the people of the way. And when you think about the culture in context, except for the Jews who believed in one God, everybody believed in plural gods, especially in Rome. You had a God for everything, a God of harvest, a God of fertility, a God of blah, 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 whatever. And then they had a God with no name. Remember, we dealt with that already, in case they missed a God. But these people that were our patriarchs, the first generation of Christendom, actually went around and said, there's no other way. All these other gods can't save you, but this God, they were the people of the way. That's how everybody knew them. What a great thing to be called. But that's what they did. And and in this chapter, as, as 
Luke is defending to some Roman guy named Theophilus, maybe in the hierarchy of the Roman government, to say they're not a cult, they're not causing problems for you. This is how they started with Jesus, the Gospel of Luke, and here is how they continue. This is how the church spread. So the book of Acts is a church, is the first church history book written by a guy named Luke. Uh, you remember, and, and, I, and I'm hoping to fill in some holes for you and help you strain your mind and understand, but I want to remind you that the guys that we read about weren't actually that special. They were just men and women of God. And you remember that Paul and his team on their first missionary journey was Paul and Barnabas, and they were a very effective team, but then they have a, a, a spat. I mean, it's a fight over who should go on the missionary journey the second time around, and they break up over it. Boy, so if you ever hear somebody say, well, the New Testament church didn't have church splits, that's only because they've never read it. Anytime somebody says the New Testament church didn't, it's because they haven't studied it. Anytime somebody says, well, the God of the Old Testament isn't like the God of the New, it's because they've never read the Old Testament or the New. Please understand, Jesus Christ said, I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's a fact. The God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament. And if you don't believe that, well, the God of the Old Testament seems angry. Have you ever read Revelation? I mean, there's prophets. It's just like an Old Testament book. And we've got to stop making these dramatic statements that feed our flesh. We've got to go to Scripture and find out what it says. Agreed? Because Mark's not right. The Bible's right. And one of the things I so appreciate about you, and I know that Jeff and Adam and Alicia do as well, is you allow us to do what the chosen does, those of you who've seen it. We move out of the pocket sometimes. Our goal is not to absolutely teach you what it says. You could just read it. But it's to get in between the lines and go, look what's going on here. And today is very important. Very important for that. Because I'm hoping that over this last year, as we went through the life of Jesus and the ministry and the things that he fought, I'm hoping that you understand that people haven't changed, nor have their selfish hearts. People haven't changed. Technology has. And the same repentance and the same running to God is just as difficult for you as it was for them, and it was just as difficult for them as it was for you. So let's pray. Let's commit ourselves to the Lord, and then we're going to jump into Acts 19 together. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it's here in front of us that we can read it. I thank you for your Holy Spirit that inhabits us and teaches us and, 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 and helps us think practically and personally. I pray for our children that we just walked, watched go into their, their own little service, Father, that is taught at their level. I pray for special care for the, uh, for the teachers. Uh, I pray that ultimately we know that it's your Holy Spirit that changes lives. So I pray that your Holy Spirit would change lives in our children's department this morning, in this room, in our Bible studies, online, and first and foremost in this pulpit. I pray that you would change my heart. So thank you for your grace. We sang, I, I don't understand Chad's song this morning. I don't know why you forgive me. Lord, that is really my heart. I'm, I'm, I just thank you that you allow me to get back up on this stage and you haven't struck me down with lightning. I'm thankful for your grace and I pray now that we would learn something together and have some fun. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So in Acts chapter 19 it begins, and again, you're going to be familiar with this if you've been with us the last couple of weeks, because again, there's three stories in Acts 19. Luke puts them together for strategic reason. He's a very smart guy. And while Jeff preached on the first two, two weeks ago, I'm going to, put, I'm going to do three, and then I'm going to put them all together, and you're going to go, oh, I see that. Because I think, I'm pretty sure I'm right. If I'm not, you're wrong. So let's go. <laughs> when, Apollos, when Apollos was in Corinth, uh, Paul traveled through the interior regions until he reached Ephesus on the coast, where he found several believers. 
So just take a note of that, that Luke calls these people believers. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? He asked them. Well, no, they replied. We haven't even heard there is a Holy Spirit. Then what baptism did you experience? He asked. And they replied, the baptism of John. Paul said, John's baptism calls for repentance from sin. But John himself told the people to believe in the one who would come later, meaning Jesus. As soon as they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then when Paul laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them. And I'm going to add here, and how did it manifest himself? How did the Holy Spirit, he manifest himself? They spoke in other tongues and they prophesied. There were about 12 men in all. Um, I, uh, just an observation, like I said, Jeff did an amazing job. I learned things in Jeff's teaching from this. I told him it was phenomenal. But one of the things that was very interesting about this is while these followers of John the baptizer had accepted his message or half of it and realized that they were center, sinners and repented of their sin, they still weren't saved. Why? Because feeling bad about your sin... Repenting that was bad, I need to stop doing that, doesn't save you. Only Jesus saves you. And, and I want this to sink in, because they hadn't heard of Jesus, despite the fact that their hero, their rabbi John, had preached about Jesus. Hey, I need to decrease so that he can increase. There's the Lamb of God that removes the sin of the world. While John had taught these things, they had only heard the part, oh, I'm a sinner, oh, I'm such a worm, oh, it's terrible, I'm a worm. And yes, we're all worms, and it's wonderful. You, you know, it's, it's ask Tiger Woods when his wife found out he had had 21 affairs. He felt really bad about that. And he probably felt like it was wrong, despite the fact that he's a Buddhist who doesn't believe in right and wrong. I'll tell you what, you look in your wife's face when she finds out you've been sleeping around, I assure you, you feel bad. But feeling bad is not what saves you. And I think that sometimes in the church we sort of think it does. These people thought, and, 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 and he asked them this powerful question. Well, they had realized they, were, they had a sin problem and even repented of it. Oops, I shouldn't do that. I need to change. When these disciples of John finally expected Jesus, accepted Jesus, the, they accepted his offer to be their lamb, their sacrificial lamb that would remove their sin. The Holy Spirit came in and entered them. It's huge because... Uh, again, I use a lot of scripture because I want you to see what the Bible actually says about salvation. Romans chapter 8, verses 9 through 11, tells us the difference between a saved person and an unsaved person. And it is not, did you walk an aisle? Do you feel guilty for your sins? It doesn't say that. But you are not controlled by the sinful nature. You're controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to Him at all. So we're going to keep going in this text for a moment, but I want to make it very clear as we start that the difference between a saved person and an unsaved person is not church attendance, membership to a church, uh, uh, walking an aisle, being baptized. When you get to heaven, the difference between a saved person in God's eyes and an unsaved person is the presence of the Holy Spirit. Now you know how significant the fruit of the Spirit is. You see, while we say, well, I walked an aisle when I was seven, or I went to church when I was a little boy, or I've never slept around on my wife. While we look at those things, or when people die, we declare people them good Christian men, even if they've never fellowshiped with the body of Christ, that's not how God judges followers. Followers are judged by whether or not the Holy Spirit lives within them. Well, Pastor Mark, how do I know if the Holy Spirit's in me? The fruit of the Spirit's presence. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. 
And it radically hit these people who had never even heard of the Holy Spirit. Jeff was saying that some people have been asking him, do you need to know who the Holy Spirit is in order to be saved? No, because it's what happens to you. When you realize you're a sinner and Jesus Christ, the God, the Trinity, the Godhead, are the only ones who can save you, the only ones who want to save you, and you accept their son, the, the Son's offer to forgive you. The Father sent the Son to save you. What happens is the third member of the Trinity immediately comes in. These people didn't go, now I'd like to speak in tongues and prophesy. That's not what they said. Paul, teach us to speak in tongues and prophesy. No. They said, who is this Jesus? Or tell us about Jesus. Who is this Holy Spirit? And when he introduced them to them, they prayed. And they were immediately baptized by the Holy Spirit. And it manifests itself in their speaking in tongues and prophecy. Now, I know that there are many churches in this community and throughout this country that say, well, that's how you know if you're saved. That's simply not true. The thief on the cross never spoke in tongues, nor was he baptized. He just died. And God remembered him because he promised he would. Father, remember me when you get to paradise, man. You're going to be with me there. He saved that guy because his heart longed for, uh, for forgiveness and acceptance, and that's what we do. Everything else happens naturally. And it's really important that we don't get hung up on prophesying our tongues. And Jeff dealt with this so well. Uh, his comment was, instead of what I was used to my, most of my ministry, God doesn't do that anymore. That's not true. That's not true God doesn't do that anymore. He can do anything he wants with whomever he wants. When Jonah was in the boat and they threw him overboard, he wasn't thinking, well, I'm pretty sure I'm going to get swallowed by a big fish. That's not what he's thinking. He's thinking, I'm going to die. That's all he's thinking. But God chose that day to swallow him up with a big fish like the dude in Florida. It happens. And that's what God does. And I think, I think because uh, Christianity, as we know it today, has become so self-centered, we listen to these stories and we go, yeah, God's cool, but I want that. Well, that's what the people... In, in the, the, actually, that's the next story. So let's jump there. Acts 19.8. And before I jump there, and I, I know, Kevin, I just jumped some scripture. Let me be clear. Close doesn't get you heaven. Repenting, knowing you're a sinner, doesn't get you eternal life. Ask these guys. Only Jesus does, and the, and the Holy Spirit's natural indwelling of you. And then we move on to the next story, and Luke tells us. Then Paul went to the synagogue, still in Ephesus, and he preached boldly for the next three months, arguing persuasively in the synagogue of Ephesus about the kingdom of God. But some became stubborn, rejecting his message, and publicly speaking against the way. So the message was called the way, and the people are called the way. Now you know what our message is supposed to be. It's not about morality or the United States or, or our own whims or how you have a better life or how to be a good husband. The message is about the way. The way to what? To have a relationship with God through Jesus. So Paul left the synagogue after several months and he took the believers with him. Then he had daily discussions at the lec lecture hall of Tyrannius. This went on for the next two years. So the people throughout the province of Asia, both Jews and Greeks, heard the word of the Lord. Jeff killed this because he said, well, let me keep reading. God gave Paul the power to perform unusual miracles. And I love Jeff's point in this. That adjective is pretty important here. Why does it call them unusual? 
because they were unusual. Very good. You are Greek scholars. The word unusual means not normal. Thank you very much. You, you are a Greek scholar. It means unusual. Even of the miracles, making the lame walk, the blind see, even the amazing things that have been experienced. And remember, we've seen a lot of weird stuff happen in Acts. Speaking and all of a sudden it being heard in different languages. That's weird stuff. But that was normal weird stuff. This is super unusual stuff. And he explains what it is. Handkerchiefs and acorns, uh, and acorns, acorns, acorns that had merely touched his skin were placed on sick people and they were healed of their diseases. And the evil spirits were expelled. Oh my goodness. That's an unusual miracle. So why the stink are so many people trying to duplicate it today? If you send me $50, I will send you a prayer cloth that will heal you. No, it won't, but I'll have $50. Don't. No, it's unusual. It's wonderful that God gave the ability for Paul to do unusual miracles. But that doesn't mean you should be able to do them. Do you know that there's unusual, miraculous thing that God does through you that Paul didn't get to do? It's wonderful to be in the hands of a personal living God. He didn't just save you. He wants to use you where you are with the gifts that he's given you and the personality that you've got. He wants to transform it more like him. Not like me. He doesn't want to make you like me or Paul or John. He wants to make you uniquely you for his purposes. And while the church's message today is God loves you as you are, lie. He doesn't, he loves you, but he knows what you're going to be when his spirit comes in and transforms you. He does not leave you as you are. And you shouldn't want to be left as you are. If you're living right now, not for the Lord, but you are his child. You should be miserable. If you're not, you need to check your heart. If you're miserable, stop it. Do the right thing. You know what the right thing is. Just go back and do the right thing. Repent where you need to repent. Go thank God for his grace. Do the right thing. Quit feeling sorry for yourself. Well, it makes me happy. Then you're making a choice, and to be honest about it, I would rather be personally happy than serve the Lord. But don't play games. Don't play games. It doesn't serve anyone well. It doesn't. If you are living in a sinful situation, you're not walking with God. If you never fellowship with God believer, God's believers, you're not doing what Scripture says. It just is what it is. And I'm sorry it is what it is, but it is what it is. And it's important that we understand that if we're going to be the real deal, we're going to be followers of Jesus, not members of a Baptist church. And that means there will be a cost. Jeff did great with this. So he, so he, he does these unusual miracles and describe what they are in verse 13. A group of Jews was traveling, and, and Jeff said this is why he loved preaching this text, because this is his favorite story in the New Testament. Kind of a weird one, but it is funny. A group of Jews was traveling from town to town, casting out evil spirits. Now I want to pause for a second, and I want to point out that it doesn't say trying to cast out evil spirits. They were casting out evil spirits. You're, you already know because Jeff preached this, or if you read the story, these aren't saved people. But I want to make it clear that just because you cast out evil spirits, just because you watched ghost adventures and you see stuff, first of all, that stuff's real. Second of all, Satan will do anything. Satan's goal for us is not that we worship him, it's that we don't bow the knee to Jesus. So he will give you whatever you need or feel or want to keep you from doing that. And that's what's happening here. These people are going from town to town, 
and they're casting out evil spirits. They tried to use the name of the Lord Jesus in their incantation saying, I command you in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches. What a weird statement. We don't know him, but Paul talks about it. That guy taught, Paul talks about, come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a, leaving, a leading priest, were doing this. Even for those of you who are studying to see if the Bible's real, let me make it clear. What you are reading is somebody who watched this stuff happening. And nobody denies that even unbelievers saw the power of God in these people. If you go back and you read Josephus, one of the things you'll learn is that people knew that this group of people, followers of the way, were very spiritually powerful, including supernatural things. Nobody denies it. What they try to do is co-op it. They want the power of God without bowing the knee to God. And that's what you have here. But one time, verse 15 says, they tried it, and the evil spirit replied, I know Jesus, and I know Paul, but who the heck are you? That is not what you want to hear from a demon. Because what comes next is not good in any sense. Then the man with the evil spirit leaped on them, overpowered them, and attacked them with such violence that they fled from the house naked and battered. The story of what happened spread quickly all through Ephesus to Jews and Greeks alike. A solemn fear descended on the city, and the name of the Lord Jesus was greatly honored. Many who became believers confessed their sinful practices. A number of them who had been practicing sorcery brought their incantation books and burned them at a public bonfire. The value of the books was several million dollars in that day's money. So the message about the Lord spread widely and had powerful effect. And I, and I loved how Jeff ended his message because he said it wasn't the miracles, the uniqueness. It wasn't the demonic stuff that really impacted people. Those were attention getters like signposts. What, a, what affected them was the message about the Lord. It's the message of the gospel that stands the, the test of time. So for those of you who are not saved, I just want to give a warning, as Jeff gave. Don't seek the power of God without personally surrendering and having a relationship with him. You will end up in trouble, not just in this life, but in the next. This is true. When you come in here, and you experience the joy of the Lord, the Holy Spirit working in his people, the fellowship, if you try to manufacture this in another way, not only will it not work ultimately, it may for a while, but it will end up with your condemnation. Run to Jesus. The universal Unitarian church is a lie based on faking church. And unless they get saved, they will not, by Jesus, not by the Baptist church or the Assemblies of God church or the Evangelical church. Thank you, Lord. I got amen. But, <laughs> but even that, for, for online, the thunder just hit. But, but it, it, in the, the Lord, the, the, you need Jesus. I need Jesus. Saved people. You need Jesus. I need Jesus. We need him more now that we're saved than we did before we got saved. We, we live in a culture and a time that says, get saved and have a good life. This was never about that. This was about being adopted into the family of God and following him off the end of the cliff. That's what the Acts is about. These people's lives are, are negatively affected by following an awesome God, but their eternity, the rewards were phenomenal. Verse 21, we're, we're still going. Afterward, Paul felt compelled by the Spirit to go over to Macedonia and Achaia before going to Jerusalem. And after that, he said, I must go on to Rome. So he sent two assistants, that's Timothy and Erastus, ahead to Macedonia while he stayed a little longer in the province of Asia. Okay, here we go. I'm going to finish the chapter. Uh, verse 23. 
about that time. So we have two stories, all in Ephesus. So this is all taking place in Ephesus. To remind you, he comes across believers who don't know Jesus, but know repentance. So they're Old Testament believers. God, take care of my sin. Well, let me introduce you to the one who did. Jesus, John talked about him. They get saved. Story number two, people are seeing the power of God worked out in the apostles and Paul specifically in Ephesus. And they want to do that. So they go around and cast out demons in their name. Now, they don't want his God. They just want the power of his God. Boy, how, how Western is that? And now we find the final story. The effect of the gospel, what really happens. About this time, serious trouble developed in Ephesus concerning the way, okay? That's the movement of Jesus' followers. And I love that name. It began with Demetrius, a silversmith who had a large business manufacturing silver shrines of the Greek goddess Artemis. He kept many craftsmen busy. He called them together along with others employed in similar trades, and he addressed them as follows. Gentlemen, you know that our wealth comes from this business. Okay? I'm just going to make comments as I read through it because the story is awesome. So this dude puts a union together of tradesmen who make their living by building uh, shrines to false gods, by building, by building false gods, by making these graven images of gods that they made up. And what happens is Paul and his team have been so effective for the gospel, the Holy Spirit has transformed Ephesus, who is, gets their fame and their wealth from this industry that he's concerned that they're cutting down on their profits because Paul is converting people to the one true God. You following me? Now, let me tell you just a side note. There, uh, the Pew Research poll done recently says that 70-some percent of people in the United States, like 72%, something around there, claim to be Christian. <laughs> There's a lot of Christians going to be in hell. How do I know that? Because this is what it looks like. You, you don't have to litigate morality if you're ruled by Jesus. If the Holy Spirit is running your life, you stop worshiping false gods. You don't have to even be told that they're false gods. Back to our story. As you have heard and seen, verse 26, this man, Paul, has persuaded many people that handmade gods aren't really gods at all. And what, that did, that's, not a, that's not the dumbest sentence ever written in the human, human language of whatever language is written in. He's going around all the region and he's trying to convince people that fake gods aren't fake, are fake. Handmade gods aren't God. You should be shocked at depravity. Don't ever, don't ever get numb to it. This is depravity. Handmade gods aren't gods at all. And that's their accusation against them. And he's done this not only here in Ephesus, but throughout the entire province. Of course, I'm not talking about the loss of public respect for our business. I'm also concerned that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will lose its influence and that Artemis, the magnificent goddess worshipped throughout the province of Asia and around all the world, will be robbed of her great prestige. Because, of course, a fake god needs to be defended and built up by those who made her. You see, if a fake god gets her prestige while being fake, you have to keep maintaining the fakeness in order to make her respectable so you can continue making big money 
deceiving people into thinking this is a real God. Right? I, I know, I don't understand what I just said either, but you do. It's crazy. And by the way, if your God is fake, you have to defend him or her passionately because he or her can't defend themselves. And I would like to put the flip side on and say that if your God is real, you don't have to defend him. You just follow him. At this, their anger boiled. And they began shouting, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! <laughs> I'm sorry, I just spit, because that's hilarious. Did anybody in the crowd go, Well, maybe we should listen to this Paul guy? Because truth matters to me. No, they don't. They just scream, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Because the Ephesians weren't of Artemis. Artemis was of them. You see, they created this fake God and her little beautiful little worship places and the money they take and they made the incantations up and she was great as they developed her to be. Soon the whole city was filled with confusion. I bet they were. Everyone rushed, rushed to the amphitheater dragging along Gaius and Astra, uh, our, our, some weird named guy, Art, we'll call him Art, who were Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia. Kind of sad, isn't it? They drag him in there. Paul wanted to go in too. I bet. Our little Paul is a little bit of a hot-headed guy. He wants to go in there. But the believers wouldn't let him in. Some of the officials of the province, friends of Paul, also sent message to him, begging him not to risk his life by entering the amphitheater. Inside, the people were all shouting, some one thing and some another. Everything was in confusion. In fact, most of them didn't even know why they were there. But they were sure yelling, Ah, yeah, blah, blah. Why are we mad? I don't know. Remember the fight with your husband recently? I think it started over a bagel. But it ended over a you never ever blah, 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 blah. Have you ever done that? It's not just Julie and me, right? We have had one fight in our 34 years of marriage. We're about two or three days into it. It's like, I can't believe. What were we fighting about again? I know I'm mad. And until you apologize for why I'm mad, I am not. And that, that's, now that's never happened in our marriage. But every, it probably has in yours because you're not as good as us. <laughs> I mean, it, this is a crazy story. If you slow down and read it, they don't even know what's going on. They didn't even know why they were there. The Jews in the crowd pushed Alexander forward and told him to explain the situation. He motioned for silence and tried to speak. But when the crowd realized he was a Jew, prejudice kicks in and they start shouting again. And they kept it up for two hours. What did they shout for two hours? Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm not yelling that for two hours, but they did. Because this is a big deal. Why is it a big deal? Because their whole economy was built on this lie. And even if their whole economy isn't built on a lie, their comfort level is built on a lie. Hasn't heard us before. Can't we just add God to our group or Jehovah or Yahweh? Can't we just add Yahweh to our staple of gods? Let's just, let's just add him. Why is this a big deal? They don't like the Jews because the Jews, as you know, have one basic concept. There is only one God. So when the Jew stands up to start asking questions, they know that this Jew is going to reject what they're saying. So they shout him down. At last, the mayor was able to quiet them down enough to speak. This is two hours later. Citizens of Ephesus, he said, everyone knows... Get this. This is great. This is a classic politician. I told you, people don't change. 
Everyone knows that Ephesus is the official guardian of the temple of the great Artemis. True. Whose image fell down from us from heaven. Since this is an undeniable fact, I will be running again in 2024, and I would like you to vote for me. I mean, now all of a sudden it's an undeniable fact. Why? Because everybody saw him fall from heaven? Everybody's lying together. Everybody's in the deceit together. Everybody's agreeing on one thing. We like Artemis. We've got to keep Artemis important. Since this is an undeniable fact, you should stay calm and not do anything rash. Why? Why does he do this? Why doesn't he let him kill Paul? Because he knows that if a riot breaks out, Rome is going to come and kill him and take over the city. And nobody wants to be under the strong arm of Roman military. So the, the mayor doesn't care so much about Paul or the truth. The mayor cares about being able to maintain his power. The people don't care about Yahweh or Paul. They just care about their wealth and their comfort. So you have a complete community. I'm about done, so stick with me. They have a, compute, a complete community who has agreed to lie to each other because it's better for them in this life, and you only live once after all. So the mayor continues, you have brought these men here, and they have stolen nothing from the temple, and they haven't even spoken against our goddess. Oh, wow. I think that's important. And apparently, the mayor says that he didn't even speak about the goddess. Why? Because when you introduce people to the one true God who sent his son to die on the cross for your sins because he loved you so much he wanted to adopt you, when, he is so, when the Jehovah God, when Yahweh loves you so much that he sends his son to sacrifice for you, when every other God requires you, fake gods require you to sacrifice for him, you don't need to talk about the fake gods. You just talk about Jesus. I've got to tell you a story that's unbelievable. God has one begotten son, and he birthed that son into humanity so that he could kill that boy so that you could be resurrected. How crazy is this story? It would be unbelievable if it wasn't verifiable and true. That's your God. And yet this community was living for a moment without any eye toward eternity, and they would rather maintain a lie that made them feel good and made them wealthy than to speak truth. But the mayor says, Paul hasn't even spoken against your God. If Demetrius and the craftsmen have a case against him, the courts are in session and the officials can hear the case at once. Let them make formal charges. And if there's complaints about other matters, they can be settled in a legal assembly. I'm afraid we're in danger of being charged with rioting by the Roman government. Hear it? Since there is no cause for all this commotion. And if Rome de demands an explanation, we won't know what to say. Then he dismissed them and they dispersed. So you get the picture in your brain? This is Paul's three-year ministry in Ephesus. Just, just a summarization of it. One group wants to be part of his team without knowing Jesus or having the Holy Spirit. So he introduces them and they get saved. Radically changes their lives. The second group tries to use the power of Paul's God in order to do what they want to do. They don't know God and they end up getting their butts kicked. Group number three doesn't want Paul's God to keep having an impact on their community. Why? Because when the Holy Spirit replaces your selfish nature, transformation takes place that the world doesn't necessarily like. I was thinking a lot about this this week. And it struck me that the American church has better be careful not to create a God that's called by the right name but it's based on lies that make us wealthy and self-absorbed. Let, let me write it another way, or say it another way. Actually, actually, let me take you on a little bit of a journey. 
Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. Ready, Kevin? Here we go. These aren't just cute verses. These are facts. God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Everybody agree? Like eight of you agree. The rest of you agree. Okay, here we go. Next verse. Salvation is not a reward for good things that we've done, so we can't boast about it. Everybody agree? So here's what happens as a result. Because of all those facts, we're God's masterpiece. He has created us anew, so he's retooled us in Christ Jesus now so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Everybody agree? The problem with those good things is Romans 12.1 says what that's going to look like. Romans 12.1, and so dear brothers and sisters, so, so what? Because Jesus saved you freely, because God's grace is a gift, because his Holy Spirit has come to live within you. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you now, give your bodies to God because all he's done for you. Give your bodies to God. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is the way you worship him. The, the word sacrifice is, is familiar in the church. We throw it around a lot. But it is a painful word. So if I am redeemed as a gift from God, and now I'm retooled to serve him, and this tells me service is actually a sacrificed living, then that makes Philippians 1.29 make more sense to me. Will you read that with me? For you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, I'm sorry if you were lied to when you got saved. But Jesus talked more about this than any other theology. The cost will be great. But the cost isn't to make sure the nation stays something or that your family's safe. The cost is go tell people about the way and it will come to you. It's the way. The church in the United States, we love this country, and I love this country too. However, it seems like the cry of much of the church today is, we are about to be denied our inalienable right to a pursuit of happiness. How do you marry this with that? Actually, Scripture says that you as a child of God are called to live sacrificially for the king, even to suffer personally for the king. If you have same-sex attraction, it is what it is, but you've been redeemed to slavery to that. Now God's going to ask you to live lonely for him. If you are single, a man or a woman, and you're lonely, and somebody offers you an opportunity to be less lonely, choose God and be lonely. Did, did that make sense? Choose God in loneliness over your personal pursuit of happiness. If you can witness to a red Chinese communist, but to do that you have to avoid an argument over politics, choose God. Seek first his kingdom. Because at the end of the day, that's the only reason we're even here. That's it. 
Kevin, will you put that last verse up there again, please? And just leave it. Not that one. <laughs> that's, the, that's the end of the message, Kevin. Thank you. I mean, Philippians 1, 29 and 30. Yeah, that's good too. I forgot to read that part. One more verse back. This is not his fault. You ask any of those people, they tell you I'm a nightmare. For we have been given not only the, what's that word? Privilege of trusting in Jesus. But also the what? Privilege of suffering for him. I don't know about you, but I am the biggest baby. I don't want to suffer. Did somebody say amen after I said that? That is not very nice. I have a Subaru. What do you expect from me? Listen, I have been given the privilege of suffering for him. Bring it, baby. <gasps> but the Holy Spirit who lives within me will give me strength. Next verse, Kevin. Verse 30. We're in this together. And Paul goes on in this chapter to talk about what he suffered in his pain. And so, that's the end of the story. They sneak, uh, basically they sneak Paul out of town. Uh, Acts 20, verse 1, when the uproar was over, Paul sent for the believers and encouraged them. Then he said goodbye, and he left for Macedonia. And the people in Ephesus continued down the road of persecution. Why? Because living for the next life was what God asked them to do, even if it hurts. And my American brothers and sisters, my Texan brothers and sisters, what are we living for? What are we living for? There's nothing wrong with being political. There's nothing wrong with wanting morality. There's nothing wrong with standing up for who you believe is going to be best in office. But we seek first the kingdom of God. And if your political aspirations, your moral aspirations, overwhelm your ability to share Christ, then you need to quiet down a little bit and find another route. Because at the end of the day, 100 years from now, the only thing it will ask is the work of the Holy Spirit in us being allowed to be done because of the blood of Jesus Christ that redeems us and adopts us into the family of God. And if you're here this morning and you're not part of God's family, here's what you do to be saved. Call in the name of the Lord. Tell him you're a, save, a sinner and he's the only one that can save you. And if you're a child of God and you are struggling with the path of the United States of America, the present president, the old president, whatever, whatever you're struggling with, and there's a lot of struggles, your life, the path God has you on, here is my encouragement for you. Follow him off the cliff. Follow him off the cliff. He's earned our trust. He's worthy of it. It's the right bet to hedge. Because only he has stood the test of time. This kind of struggle has been going on since the Garden of Eden. It's our turn to pick up the torch and follow Jesus. No matter the cost. Let's close in prayer. Lord Jesus, we love you. And I know, I know as I look at this congregation, I know they want to follow you faithfully. I know they're even willing to suffer if it's for the right thing. But Lord, we try to, we try to measure it all out. We try to figure out what that right thing is. And I pray, Lord, you would teach us just to trust you. Father, I thank you for the rain this morning. And I, I thank you for how the grass is green and, and the trees will bear fruit. And I just thank you for all that. Thank you that you continue to take care of us. I pray, Father, for a revival of the church in this country. So that is how you will revive the country. Father, uh, the, the lost don't need a revival. The, the saved do. So I pray that your Holy Spirit that lives within your children will give us a passion for being people with one message. Jesus Christ is the way to Father. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.
Bible study is going to start in 10 minutes. I hope you have a wonderful Sunday.